if you're able. O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. To the choir master with stringed instruments, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lynn. Good morning. Good morning, good morning. Uh, there's an uh, outline in your bulletin. Everyone go ahead and pull that out. And now put it to the side, because that's not my outline. Um, Pastor Bob uh, wasn't feeling well today, so he asked me to preach, and I don't have a paper outline. I will verbally give it to you in just a little bit. So... Um, I hope you've enjoyed our time in uh, the year of the Bible. We are getting to spend some time with some books that don't naturally make it probably to the top of our, our Bible reading, like Habakkuk. Uh, and as I was uh, reading through this book, it reminded me of, of just the challenge of life, how difficult life is, how evil uh, there is in our world, how much evil there is in our experience of life. And those moments in your life when maybe your heart and your mouth uh, just can't stop saying, this is so wrong. Have you been there? This is so wrong. I can think of more uh, examples than I care to remember when the wrongness was just too obvious. Um, in 2010, I got a call from Leilani Jones, who's the director of Precious Lamb Preschool, one of our compassion partners, and she asked if I could meet her at Long Beach Memorial because the infant sibling of one of the kids at Precious Lamb was being carried downstairs uh, by an adult, and they fell and tri tripped and crushed them. And uh, we were there with the family at the hospital when the news came that the, this little child had died. And the, the grief uh, in that moment was just so heavy, and you're at a loss. And I remember thinking, this is so wrong. Um, and then a couple years after that, uh, one of the gals from our previous church uh, Lanny had lost her great-nephew, a young soldier. It's a 26-year-old Army Ranger named Tommy McPherson. Uh, one week before he was scheduled to come home to his uh, wife, their one-and-a-half-year-old son, in his new apartment, he was killed in a firefight in Afghanistan. And his dad spoke at the service, which was held at Cottonwood Church, huge auditorium, and the place was totally packed. And his dad said, I'm not supposed to bury my son. My son's supposed to bury me. Right, that's what's right. Um, and what he was saying was, this is so wrong. In the past three years, I've had two friends, uh, one in her 40s, one, uh, he just turned 50, both die from pancreatic cancer. Uh, both were loved by many, uh, both had children who weren't done being raised yet. Uh, I've known, and maybe you have too, some rotten people that live into their 90s, maybe even 100. 
but these two are gone now. Uh, and that's just plain wrong. It's wrong when children die in infancy from stupid accidents. It's wrong that Tommy's parents lost their son, that his wife became a widow, and that little boy has no dad. It's wrong when cancer, and I'll, I'll edit this for church, when freaking cancer comes and ends the lives of those who ought to live several more decades. It's wrong that we live in a world of death and disease, war and injustice, countless other, other evils. And I, I'm guessing many of you are like me. You just get sick of it, don't you? Just get tired of it. Now, some look at all the wrong in the world, and there's much to look at, and they use it as an excuse to not believe in God or to abandon God, uh, at least the God of the Christians. And the argument goes like this. If uh, God is, as you Christians say, as the Bible teaches, a good and powerful and just God, if he's committed to what's right and he has the power to do something about it, then what about all the wrong? If God is so great and stands against evil, then why is the world filled with it? Where is this God of yours? Why doesn't he step in and do something about all of this? Now, we can understand, and maybe that's where you're at today, you can understand how somebody would feel that way, right? It's a very natural reaction to the world we live in. If we're honest uh, enough to admit it, we'd say there's times when we wonder, God, where are you? Don't you care? That's how the prophet Habakkuk was feeling when he looked around and saw how wicked Judah had become. Judah, God's people in the southern kingdom, they were morally and spiritually corrupt. They looked no different than the other nations who didn't know God. They worshiped false gods. They sacrificed their children to them. They allowed the temple to fall into ruin. They disregarded God's law. They lived as if God didn't. Uh, they did have a reformation of sorts under good king Josiah. But after Josiah died, Judah returned to her wicked ways and because of that, God's going to bring judgment upon Judah through the Babylonians and their king, which we've been hearing about for a few weeks in our study, Nebuchadnezzar. So it's in that window of time, after Judah's return to wickedness, before the Babylonian invasion, that Habakkuk writes his book. Habakkuk is uh, one of the, the 12 minor prophets in the Old Testament. Now, that's not because uh, they're insignificant. It's because they're shorter than the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Habakkuk the man uh, is a bit of a mystery. We know less about him than any other prophet, and that's because we know nothing about him. We don't know who his parents were. We don't know uh, which kings were ruling when he ministered. We don't know where he was from. We don't know what occupation God called him to uh, when he called him to be a prophet, what he was doing before. Amos, I think, was a fig farmer. Is that I think I remember that right. I'd like to think Habakkuk was a professional breakdancer, <laughs> but there's no evidence to prove that. In addition to knowing nothing about the man, the book he wrote is also unique in that it doesn't address the people of God directly. It doesn't talk to Judah. Most of the prophets are like screaming at the, the nation. Instead, what we have here in Habakkuk is a debate between Habakkuk and God. Like Job before him, and like many of the psalmists, Habakkuk just lays it all out there when he speaks to God. If you read it this week, you know that. He says exactly what's on his mind. He is a believer. 
in a good and sovereign God, and at the same time, he struggles with all that's wrong in the world. He has tension in his life of faith. Can anyone relate? Okay, the rest of your liars. Can anyone... <laughs> Struggling to believe what we do on one hand and see what we do on the other. I believe these things, but I see this. I know these things are true about God, but I, this is my experience. That, and then how those work together, that's where the tension comes. How does this work, God? I don't know how familiar you are with Habakkuk, but I hope after this morning, we'd all be a little more grateful that God's preserved this in his word and given us an opportunity to befriend uh, this prophet. Habakkuk has a lot to say to anyone who wrestles with the existence of God and the reality of evil or wrong. He has a lot to say to us here this morning, and we need to hear him when he speaks. And so I know we've already prayed for God to open our ears and we've sung it, but we're going to pray it again because there's not too many times we can do that. So let's, let's pray again. God, give us ears to hear right now in this moment that we might know your will and live for you. Through our engagement with Habakkuk, do this work in us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Habakkuk has a pretty simple outline. Uh, in chapters 1 and 2, we see Habakkuk debating with God, and they go two rounds. Habakkuk laments, that is, he speaks, and then it's God's turn to speak, so he listens. And then uh, lamenting and listening, it happens twice. And then in chapter 3, Habakkuk lifts his voice and prays to God. So anyone like to have outlines? That, that's helpful, or you write them out if I say them. So, okay, for the one person. No, there's more. There's more of you. Here's the outline. It's going to be quick. Point one, Habakkuk laments. Two, Habakkuk listens. Three, Habakkuk laments. You could put again in parentheses if that's like you want to do. Four, Habakkuk listens again, and five, Habakkuk lifts his voice and prays. So that's what it is. Lament, listen, lament, listen, lift. Um, and, and, you know, a lot of times when people are, are preaching or especially people are learning how to preach and it's new to them, one, a good question to ask is, what can't you wait to get to in the sermon? What's kind of like a passion point for you? And I think this, this qualifies for me. I really hope you remember this. Habakkuk had to go through the debate with God to get to the praise, okay? I think that's really, if I was on TBN, I'd say, did you hear me? Did you hear that? Maybe I'm going to say it anyway because I'm just preaching. Did you hear that? Habakkuk had to go through the debate with God to get to the praise of God, that is, he had to struggle and give voice to the tension in his heart. He had to be honest with God. He had to wrestle with God to get to the deep and genuine praise. And that's always the path of true faith. And I hear some of you testifying to this in my conversations with you throughout the week, how challenging life is, how dark it is, but also the joy, the praise that you have for God. The struggle, the, the wrestling with God, that's real. But so is the joy. So is the praise. And some of us stop short of the praise. We pull the cord early. We, we, we struggle. We wrestle. And then we walk away. Or we come back again for round three with God. 
And I would encourage you to, to fight for joy, fight to get to that place where you can praise the Lord. When faced with the tension, Habakkuk, uh, he didn't just, you know, he's like, oh, I believe these things, and, but this is true. He didn't just try to believe harder in the things he already believed. And he didn't just ignore the reality of the challenging things that he saw. He doesn't have a superficial faith. His experience is one of tension. He's in anguish when he considers Judah and their wickedness. But notice what he does. He considers all that he's thinking and feeling, all of that, and he takes it to God. He takes it to his good and sovereign God. He doesn't abandon God because of his doubt or lack of understanding. He goes to God. And that's what we ought to do. Any circumstance we find ourselves in, we ought to do the same thing that Habakkuk did. So don't run from God when you have doubts. Don't run from God when you don't understand something. Don't withdraw from the community, from the church, when you're going through something challenging. Move in toward people, especially to God. Run to God. Pour out your heart to Him. And that's called lament. That's what that's called. I, I don't use the word lament a whole lot in my everyday conversations, but... But that's the only word that really captures what's happening here in Habakkuk's uh, plea to God. The dictionary says lament is to express sorrow, sorrow or regret strongly, and, but I don't think that's strong enough to describe what's happening, and I'll let you be the judge. Habakkuk laments. That's the first point. Uh, look at verse 2, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you look idly at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. So Habakkuk, he's lamenting the sorry state of Judah God's people are morally corrupt, they're spiritually apostate, and the law, God's law, God's word, Habakkuk says in verse 4, is paralyzed, justice never goes forth, violence and devastation mark God's people instead of flourishing and, and, and peace like he would have it. Habakkuk's been crying out to God to do something about this, and by his standards, God is just responding too slowly. Lord, why do I care more about this than you do? Oh, Lord, how long? Don't you hear? Won't you save? According to Habakkuk, God is, it seems to be turning a blind eye to Judah's sin. The devastation in the community is significant, and instead of doing something about it, he thinks God's just kind of hanging out, not doing anything. Where are you, God? What are you doing? What could be better than helping here. So he laments. These two authors I, I, I love wrote a book called Reconciling All Things, and here's how they talk about lament. Lament is not despair. It's not whining. It's not a cry into a void. Lament is a cry directed to God. It's the cry of those who see the truth of the world's deep wounds and the cost of seeking peace. It is the prayer of those who are deeply disturbed by the way things are. 
So Habakkuk, he's deeply disturbed by the way things are, especially because he knows who God is. That's the great tension. God, I know you. I know how you despise evil, how you love your people. Why then are you just sitting there while all this is happening? And as we'll discover in verse 5, God isn't just sitting there. God's not indifferent to evil in the world or the sins of his people. God does hear, God does see, God will save. And God never, ever looks idly at sin, at wrong, never. After Habakkuk speaks, it's God's turn. So again, the outline, at first Habakkuk laments, and now he listens as God responds to his opening argument. So chapter 1, verse 5 says, look among, this is the Lord, look among the nations and see, wonder, and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that's another name for Babylonians. And as I was reading this uh, earlier, I was thinking about the orc army in the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) You know how they move through the land and they just decimate everything in their path? I mean, listen to this description. I'm not crazy. It's It's late in the morning, but that bitter, hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff. At the rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. So it pays to listen to God, and Habakkuk learns that he was wrong. God does care. God will respond to the the sins of Judah. Uh, But as we'll see in just a moment, that doesn't do away with Habakkuk's problems with God. So Habakkuk's initial problem when he first spoke, his first lament, was whether or not God will do something about this. Now, after listening to God, Habakkuk has a new problem. It's how God is going to do what he's going to do about this. So God cares, but his care is strange. God will act, but the way God chooses to act is often baffling. Why is it baffling? Because of God's chosen instrument. God tells Habakkuk in verse 6 that he's going to use the Babylonians to discipline his people, to bring judgment, judgment, justice, all this stuff that starts with J. (laughs) That choice made Habakkuk's head spin, right? That God would use the Babylonians to do this, to answer this prayer. That's what God says Habakkuk wouldn't believe even if he were told in verse 5. How can God sort out injustices and choose the most unjust people, the Babylonians, to do it? Ding, ding, round two. Habakkuk laments again. We see that in chapter 1, verse 12, through the first verse in chapter 2. And I think in this section, we can imagine Habakkuk saying uh, here, permission to speak freely, sir? And God says, granted. And then Habakkuk says, are you crazy? The Babylonians, that's who you're going to use. In this second lament, Habakkuk takes upon it himself, 
takes it upon himself to remind God who God is, as if God forgot. Look at verse 12. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet. He rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them, he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? Chapter 2. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He kind of thinks he knows what's going on now. He thinks he's made a pretty good case against God and his decision of Babylon. Like when you're in a heated discussion with someone and you, you make a, you get that point that, that's a clincher and you think there's no comeback for that. I just won. Habakkuk might have actually thought that he had, had won round two with God. And so he stations himself on the wall and waits for God to reply. And God does. Habakkuk listens again. Chapter 2, verse 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So here what we have, just these few verses, is even though Judah and Babylon have their fair share of wickedness, God sees a difference between these two peoples. Only Judah is in covenant with God. Only the people of Judah are God's people. And so no matter how dark it gets, how rebellious they are, his grace somehow still shines through. God, we see in verses 2 and 3, preserves his word for them. He says, write the vision on tablets, make it plain, so he may run who reads it. In other words, so my people know what to expect and can live for me in that direction. He preserves their word for them. God also calls his people to live by faith. Chapter 2, verse 4. See, it's their lack of faith that got them in this sorry mess in the first place. And they need to be renewed in their faith in God. And God calls them back to trust him, their God. Preserves their word, calls them back in faith. So there's grace for the people of God, but there's no grace for the Babylonians. No promise of hope or, or call to faith. They're not his people. What they get from God are five woes in uh, verses 6 to 19. Verse 6, woe to, for their excessive greed and conquest. That's the first woe. Their excessive greed and conquest. 
Verse 9, woe for their looking to treasure and wealth for protection. Verse 12, woe for their violence and injustice. Verse 15, woe for their mistreatment of their neighbors. Verse 19, woe for their idolatry. And woe to us if any of these are our values. God's woes are not empty words. God decries the Babylonians' sins here in chapter 2 and promises they will be judged. Yes, he'll use them to punish Judah, but then he'll punish them for their wickedness in carrying out his will to use them to punish Judah. Right? How does that work? How is it God's will to use a group to punish people and then punish them for doing that? I I understand why Paul in Romans 11, verse 33 says, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. That's Paul saying, we don't know God, but you do. Habakkuk's first lament was regarding God's justice for Judah. Will they get away with all their wickedness? God's clear answer, no. Habakkuk's second lament was regarding God's choice of Babylon uh, to bring justice to Judah. And maybe he thought the Babylonians were going to get away with all their horrible treatment and brutality toward, toward Judah, be used by God to punish, and then kind of just saunter back home to Babylon to do whatever Babylonians do. Well, God makes it very clear that's not the case either. They will be punished. Chapter 2, verse 8, the plunderer will be plundered. See that? And unlike Judah, God's response to Babylon will not include mercy. Well, that ends round two of the debate. And by this point, we might be like in this pattern, like lament, listen, lament, listen. And we might expect, oh, lament three, third round. But there's no lament. Instead, he lifts his voice in praise to God. His lamenting ends in praise. Something has changed for Habakkuk through these two rounds of debate with God. By the time we get to chapter 3, Habakkuk has set aside his questions, his accusations, at least for today, and has chosen to praise instead. He has a new perspective, sort of like Job who after his debate with God said, I have uttered what I didn't understand, things too wonderful for me. Didn't know what I was talking about. Habakkuk, in like manner, places his hands over his mouth. His tongue stops, and when he removes it, he has nothing but praise for God. You can take these questions as uh, hypothetical. Hypothetical? Is that? No, not hypothetical. What is it? Yes, thank you. I knew it ended with an all and that someone would be able to help me. You can take these as rhetorical or you can yell out the answer. I don't care. Is, is the evil in Habakkuk's day, is the evil still great? Yes. Has the world of Habakkuk fundamentally changed between chapter 1 and chapter 3? No. How then, all of a sudden, can he give praise to God? How can he do that? What happened to his lament, his accusations? And the short answer is faith. Through his encounter with God, he has faith, and not a blind faith, but faith founded on the mighty acts of God through the person 
of God. That's what Habakkuk recites in chapter 3, 3 to 15. The whole section is a hymn to God's power, especially the Exodus, God's deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt. That's how he ends. Evil is still evil. True in his day, true in ours. But though the wrong seems off so strong, what? God is the ruler yet. This is God's world. This is our Father's world. And God is sovereign. Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 20 says, The Lord is in his holy temple. Okay, well, that's not weird. That's where he lives. The Lord is in his holy temple. We might say, so what? So let all the earth keep silence. Because when we really see God, that's the response. Habakkuk has faith in God. He knows that just as God has delivered his people in the past, he's going to do the same thing in the future. And even when our circumstances would seem to speak a different word, whatever it is you're going through, we can trust this word, God is faithful. God is faithful. I love the way Habakkuk ends. Verse 17, we heard it in the reading, but I'll read it again. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. It's like the worst season of life ever. Even though that's true, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And I'm glad that the, the final line is there too. To the choir master with stringed instruments. It's like saying to uh, Denise Nossett, our choir director, and, and Justin, hey, write this down. We're going to need to sing this at some point. This whole chapter is meant to be sung by the people of God. It's a, a hymn of praise. Because in God, we have a firm foundation. We have a place to put our feet when the world is shifting and unstable beneath us. The cupboards might be bare. The car might be broken down in the driveway. Everything we think we need to live may fail us, but God will not fail his people. Amen. I love the language here in 17 and 18, the though followed by the yet. Though, fill in the blank right? Habakkuk filled it in with five or six things. You fill in the blank. Though this loss, this pain, this sorrow, though this lack, this failure, yet I will rejoice. There's no I'll praise him when, right? I'll praise him when I get that job. I'll praise him when I find a spouse. I'll praise him when I'm cancer-free, I'll praise him when his plan makes more sense. No, I'll praise him now because he is the Lord. He is sovereign. He is good. He is Savior. He is worthy. So church, lament. Bring your pain, your honest doubts, all your tension, your sense of what's wrong in you and the world. Bring it all to God. Bring you all to God to God, cry out to him, tell him, pour out your heart. But then listen. Listen to God. Hear him in his word. Hear what he has to say. Remember his faithfulness in the past and, and let that give you hope for the future. Lament, then listen, 
and then lift your voice. Let your lamenting end in praise. One of Habakkuk's opening questions to God was, why do you look idly at wrong? Habakkuk discovered through his debate with God that God doesn't look idly at wrong. Punishment was on the way. God was responding to the situation. But you know what? That judgment, as severe as it was in Habakkuk's day, was just a a dim picture of the even greater judgment God would bring, not upon his people, but upon his son. About 600 years after the time of Habakkuk, God poured out his wrath on his sinless, beloved son, Jesus. Jesus suffered and died on the cross. And as Isaiah tells us, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. Is any more proof needed that God does not tolerate wrong? That God will not see justice perverted? Is there any more evidence that we need to believe that the Lord of all the earth, the judge of all the earth, will do right? God hates our sins so much, he refuses to stand idly by that he's willing to sacrifice his very own son for us, for you. God, where are you? Do you hear? Do you see? Do you care? And I think the cross of Jesus forever answers those questions. I'm right here, and yes, yes, yes. Friends, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. I'd like to end our service by reading a couple prayers, and uh, perhaps uh, one of them is uh, what is happening in your heart right now. So let's bow and just be open to God. The first is a prayer for those searching for truth. Lord Jesus, you claim to be the way, the truth, and the life. If what you claim is true, please guide me, teach me, and open me to the reality of who you are. Grant that I might be undaunted by the cost of following you as I consider the reasons for doing so. Give me an understanding of you that is coherent, convincing, and that leads to the life that you promise. Amen. And maybe that's your prayer this morning, or maybe it's this prayer. It's a prayer of belief. Lord Jesus Christ, I admit that I am weaker and more sinful than I ever before believed, but through you I am more loved and accepted than I ever dared hope. I thank you for paying my debt, bearing my punishment, and offering forgiveness I turn from my sins and receive you as Lord and Savior today. Amen. So if you prayed either of those prayers, we rejoice with you uh, this morning that God is at work in your life. And I would just encourage you, please don't leave today without letting somebody in on that. Uh, Talking to me after the service, someone around you that you know, uh, someone you came with, the the people who are going to be up front to the right for you to pray with after the service. Come to Christianity Explored in a couple weeks and, and do that. Explore what, who Jesus is, what he's done, why it matters. Respond. Let other people in on what God is doing in you. Because I'll tell you, I, this is what happens so often. There's a parable of the sower. 
the, the farmer goes out to sow seed, that's the word of God, and it gets sown and, and uh, it, it takes root in someone's heart, and then the bird comes by and plucks it up and flies off with it, and Jesus tells us that's the devil. That's what Satan does. So for some of you, you're feeling it right now. You're feeling convicted. You're feeling like God's at work. Maybe I should say something to someone. And if you leave this place, I tell you in a week or maybe in a day, it's going to seem like a dream. And you're going to think, I don't know what that was, but I doubt it was anything I really need to do anything about or follow up with. Don't do that. That's the devil lying to you. The Lord Jesus Christ is here, wants you to respond today. So come to him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you still speak, God, to your people. You speak to us this morning in your word. You speak to us in the mouth of another when they preach the gospel to us. You communicate your care for us in so many ways. I pray that you would save the lost this morning that you would encourage the, the discouraged in their faith, that you would rebuke the proud, that you would hold all of us in your arms as a good father to his children, and that you would give us individually what each one of us needs, and we as a whole church would rejoice and say amen. In Jesus' name we pray this, amen. Amen. amen.